Now follow that. Uh, you're joining us this morning. It's the last week, as Dave has said, of our series, The Comparison Trap. Uh, if you're watching online, you're very welcome. Actually, if you're watching online, I'm a little bit jealous because here I am uh, on a Sunday morning in a leisure centre in the middle of the Suffolk countryside, uh, dressed, showered, looking reasonably presentable, and you're in bed, aren't you? <laughs> Truth is, for me, there's always something about other people's lives that seems to be more desirable than mine. Maybe you are enjoying a morning in bed while I'm up and uh, doing things. Maybe your house is bigger than mine. Maybe your retirement allows you to travel more than me. Almost certainly, you're younger than me, better looking than me. You have cooler friends than me. Thank you. <laughs> and probably you get more likes on social media than me. That's, That's not a real one for me. <laughs> Something in me compares myself to other people, and sometimes that can be quite reassuring, and sometimes that's not reassuring at all. And it seems from the reaction that we've had to this series, brief though it's been, we were right in assuming that it's not just us who get up on the platform who feel that. It seems we all need to know that we're doing okay, that we're doing okay at life. We're doing okay at being a mum, okay at being a dad, okay at being a woman, okay at being a man, okay at, at being, being an, an employee. employee. Whatever, whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that we are, we need to know we're doing it okay. And the easiest mirror to hold up in order to see how well we're doing is to look at other people, see how they're doing, and compare ourselves with them. And the bottom line for this series has been that there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. When we compare ourselves with, with others, others, there's, there's no, no advantage, advantage to, to doing, doing that. that. When we compare ourselves to others, there's no finish line. It doesn't ever come to an end. There's never that, aha, moment, I've got it now. There's no peace. One of the wisest men ever to live, as we uh, learnt uh, earlier in the series, wrote that envy rots our bones. There is no win in comparison. And over the past couple of weeks, Emily and Steve have given us an alternative to the comparison trap. If you missed those talks, you can catch up online at forgechurch.com. All of us look somewhere. We have a mirror, we have a reflection point to determine if we're okay. And if you agree with me that there's no win in comparison, then where can we go to determine whether we're okay? And the answer we've been pointed to is that there is a God who loves us. There is a God who loves you, a God who sees you as a child, a God who sees you as a son, a God who sees you as a daughter. And you've been invited to relate to that God as a father, not the reflection of your human father, but the perfection of fatherhood. And you've been invited to see you through his eyes the eyes of a father 
who loves you unconditionally. And you know, if you don't travel any further with me this morning than that, um, I, I'm happy enough. Just hold on to that. Really keep hold of it. Don't look at other people to determine whether you have value and whether you've got life sorted. Look God in the eye. See yourself as he sees you. And answer the question, am I doing okay? from that vantage point. Well, this week we're building on that and we're wrapping up the series by looking at a story that Jesus told. Jesus often told stories. Um, if you're a regular here, you'll know that our uh, previous series was seven stories and we looked at seven stories that Jesus told and we have another one this morning. Uh, Jesus' stories are often referred to as parables and a parable is a made-up story it's something that didn't really happen that Jesus told. We were on holiday uh, with the family uh, at New Year, uh, and one evening we sat down with um, Eliza, our daughter, and Sam, uh, and Anne's nephew, Fred. There was the five of us who were away, uh, and we watched Paddington. Um, Anne and I had never watched Paddington. Yes, that's Paddington 1, and earlier this year we'd never watched it. So let's just get that out there. Anyway, we sat down, and those of you who've watched it will know that <coughs> actually it gets quite tense towards the end. And there's a scene which from memory involves a vacuum cleaner uh, and a lift shaft, and it really looks as if Paddington is going to meet his end. And Anne... Was sit I can say this because she's not here this morning, um, Anne was sitting on the edge of her seat and she turned to the rest of us and she said, it's time, at times like this, you just have to remember there is a Paddington 2. <laughs> <coughs> and quick as a flash, Sam turned to her and said, Anne, at times like this, you have to remember it's just a story. And this is just a story. A parable is just a story. Usually they're made up, and usually they're made up because Jesus wants to make just one point. So if you go to church and the person on stage or in the pulpit is saying, I've got eight points for you from the parable this morning, you can know that they're probably wrong because Jesus usually told parables to make a single point. Usually, Jesus introduces these stories with a phrase like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he goes on to tell the story. The kingdom of heaven is like. Parables are a way of helping us understand the way God views the world, the way God views us, and the way God evaluates us in the light of his purpose for our lives. And I find them really fascinating. I think they're really important. I think they're sometimes confusing. And that's certainly the case with the one that we're going to look at this morning because it's got rather an odd ending. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on to the fact that they're made up stories and they usually have one point to make. And we're going to read the story together. Um, it was recorded by Matthew, who was one of Jesus' friends and followers, uh, and he wrote it down. Uh, he recorded it in his uh, history, his eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. Um, and we're going to read it together. Uh, so let me just move that so that it's not in the way. And uh, we'll jump to it. 
Again, Jesus says, it will be like a man going on a journey. Again. Again is because Jesus is telling this story in a sequence of stories. And if you work your way back through the stories to the one at the beginning, yes, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. I note from that that he didn't give his money to his servants. He entrusted it to them. It seems like the man is a master. Um, He's got servants. He's wealthy. He's going on a journey, a long journey. I think it was probably a world cruise, although to be honest, Matthew doesn't tell us that. And he is entrusting his wealth to his servants. He wants them to do with his wealth what he has done with his wealth and what he would do if he wasn't otherwise occupied. He expects them to do with his wealth what he himself would do. Jesus goes on to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So I would infer from that uh, that this man, this boss, this master, is a shrewd kind of person. Um, He is wealthy. He has made money. And he recognizes that not all the people who work for him, not all of his servants, have the same level of ability and diligence. And so to one, he gives five bags of gold and says, I'm entrusting that to you. Go do what I would do. To another, he says, yeah, you're pretty capable. I'll give you two bags of gold, and I'll entrust that to you while I'm away. And then there's the other guy where he kind of goes, hmm, one bag of gold for you. I entrust that to you while I go on my journey. You've got a high level of skill. I'll entrust you with five bags of gold. He knows that not all his people have the same level of skill and commitment. Jesus continues, then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. The servant entrusted with five, let's call him Mr. Five Bags, puts the five to work. He invests the money. He trades the money. He sweats the money. And over time, remember, his master has gone on a long journey. Over time, he doubles his boss's money. And Mr. Two Bags does the same. After a long while, he too doubles his boss's money. And he ends up with four bags of gold, having started just with two. And I think when Jesus said, but the man who had received one bag went off, is the point at which his audience would have been a bit shocked. And they would have started to shake their heads. 
because suddenly they know that this was a bad move. This was a bad move by the man who had been entrusted with just one bag. They know now how the story is going to end, and they know now that the story is not going to end well for Mr. One Bag. What's this guy thinking to go off and bury the money in the ground? We're not told, so I'm going to guess. Um, i tell you what he's thinking. I think he's thinking, one bag, one bag. If I had five bug bags like Mr. Smartass over there, I could do something with five bags, but one bag? Even if I had two bags like Mr. Smug over in the corner there, I could do something with that, but one bag? What use is one bag? I've been dealt a raw deal here by my master, I'm going to go out and I'm going to bury it in a field. And then at least when he comes back, I'll still have it safe and can return it to him. What can anyone do with one bag of gold? The story goes on. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. Mostly when Jesus talks in his stories about after a long time, the parallel for us is at the end of your life. After a long time, after a lifetime, after you've lived your whole life, after I've lived my whole life, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And so there he is, the master is back, and he's asking his servants, how have you done with what I entrusted to you? What did you do with what you had? And it's like Mr. Five Bags Full is right there. Um, he's, uh, he's happy to be there, uh, and he wants to tell his master how well uh, he's done. And he said, you know, you gave me five bags, uh, and I have worked so hard with those five bags of gold that actually I've got five more now. I've doubled your money. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. If I'm honest, that jars a bit. Because five bags of gold was like 30 or 40 years wages for a working man in those days. And this master says, you've been faithful with a few things. And that jars a little bit with me. So maybe that's just where I need to remember it's only a story. What the man does do, what the master does do, which is what any director or managing director or boss would do is he recognizes and praises the achievement of this servant who has made good use of what was entrusted to him and as a reward he gives him additional responsibility. 
So then we read on. The man with two bags of gold also came. He's almost as keen as the guy with five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Mr. Two Bags is also keen. He's effectively done the same as Mr. Five Bags. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the bit the audience are waiting for. If this was a movie, the theme music stops being in a major key and soft and jolly and goes into a minor key and becomes menacing. Mr. One Bag hurries in. My suspicion is he comes hurrying in because he's been scurrying around outside thinking, a long time ago I had a bag of gold and I buried it somewhere and I need to find it now. And you know, I find this so interesting because he starts his spiel to his master so differently from the others. There's no, you entrusted me with. Somehow he's lost sight, it seems to me, that he was entrusted with anything at all. Instead, it's like he starts pointing the finger at his master Now, before I tell you about that one bag of gold, I need you to know that this is kind of your fault. We read, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. (coughs) Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. And see, here is what belongs to you. I know you're a successful man. I know you drive a hard bargain. I know you leave nothing on the table. So before you get mad with me, you need to understand that this is really your fault because you scared me. I was afraid and anyone in my situation would have done just exactly what I did. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Actually, my understanding is that the Greek word um, that's translated into English as wicked in you wicked, lazy servant um, can also uh, be translated worthless. And I suspect that's a better translation or a better rendering here. I don't think the master is angry because this guy, Mr. One Bag, has done something bad. I think he's angry because Mr. One Bag has done nothing at all. He's done nothing at all. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant, So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, 
I would have received it back with interest. Ah, oh, yeah, and everyone in the audience is nodding and going, yeah, of course that's what he should have done. How stupid. He was lazy. He didn't even take it to the bank. He didn't see it as something that had been entrusted to him. He's missed the whole point. So Jesus goes on, so take the bag from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. So this guy hasn't done what I expected him to do. He's mismanaged money. So for that, what he has got will be given to the one who's got the most, and he's going to hell. Wow. End of story. We can go home now. No, only joking, because I don't think that's actually <coughs> what Jesus is saying. But if we were writing this story, if we were telling this story, if we were putting Jesus' words down, I don't think we'd have written that, would we? We would have said uh, something like, so they let him keep the one bag after all because Jesus was a really nice guy, the master was a really nice guy, and the guy hadn't really done anything wrong, he'd just been a bit of a dolt. I think I would have said something like that, or maybe the bag of gold that he had was given to a charity. How about that? Seems harsh, doesn't it? That it actually goes to Mr. Five Bags, who's now Mr. Ten Bags. Um, and uh, yeah, that just seems harsh. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't think that's hell. I think that's just like when Lord Sugar says, you're fired. And you go outside and you're not inside anymore. You're not part of the inner circle anymore. You're not an insider. You're an outsider. And what is weeping and gnashing of teeth? It's a bit quaint, isn't it? It's a bit quaint, but weeping and gnashing of teeth is just frustration, I think. Frustration. That you've let yourself down. Regret because you didn't get it and you didn't do what was expected of you. I think Jesus is teaching us that we're all something and we all have something. And whether we're here this morning, uh, whether you're here this morning and you'd call yourself a Christian or whether you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, we all have something. We may have one bag, we may have two bags, we may have five bags. In life, we come across stories of people, don't we, who had a very disadvantaged start to life and yet whose lives have become successful. J.K. Rowling was an unemployed single mum living on benefits. But she knew she had a talent for writing. And she's now a multi-millionaire author, thanks to Harry Potter. Luis Suarez was a road sweeper in Montevideo, Uruguay. But he loved playing football, and he was quite good at it. So while he was sweeping the roads, and after he'd swept the roads, he honed his skills on the streets of Montevideo. 
in 2016, his salary for FC Barcelona was over £15 million. And those stories and hundreds of other rags-to-riches stories that I could tell you about and that you know about have very little to do with what the individuals have or had. And they have a lot to do with what they did, with what they had. And we all have some bags of gold. Gold. We have skills. We have personality. We have family. We have upbringing. We have education. We have our life experience. And as we look at all of that and as we weigh all of that up, we may feel advantaged by that. I had a good upbringing. I'm in a stable relationship. Or we may feel disadvantaged from that, by that. I've just lost my job. I never completed my schooling. And during our life, we've made decisions. And we live with the consequences of those decisions. And some of those decisions we look back on and we think, yeah, that was a great decision. I'm really pleased with that. And other decisions, which are part of what we have, we look back on and we really regret it. In about, oh, I don't know, it's like prehistory. In about 1996, it became apparent that if I continued my career, my career was going to require me to move around and travel a lot. And we had to decide, are we going to do that as a family? Are we going to move from one place to another, move the children from one school to another, from one friendship group and have to create another? Or are we going to do something different? And we decided to do something different. And that Suffolk would be our home, and if there was any travelling or moving around to do it, I'd do it. And I look back on that decision, and I'm really proud that we made that decision and we made it work. Because it isn't what we planned for when we got married, and it isn't the path we would have marked out for us, but I think it was the wisest thing for us as a family to do at that time, and I'm really pleased that we did it. I'm less proud, in fact I'm not proud at all, of a time at work where we were facing a very difficult situation, um, and uh, I was asked to do something about it. And when my boss asked me whether I'd had that difficult conversation, I lied and said that I had when I hadn't. And over the next couple of weeks, it became blatantly obvious to everyone involved that I hadn't had the conversation and that I'd lied about it. And I felt deeply shamed by that. And I look back on that decision, which is part of my bag of gold or two bags of gold or however many bags of gold I've got, and I feel disadvantaged by that. What these stories tell us and what Jesus tells us in this story is that what you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. Whether you feel advantaged or disadvantaged, one day you'll have an opportunity to say to God, this is what you entrusted to me. Here's what you placed into my hands when you went on a journey, and now I can give an account to you of what I've done with what you entrusted to me. We may, of course, be tempted to follow the example of Mr. One Bag. We can focus on what we haven't got and fall into the comparison trap. When we play the comparison game, we're basically saying to God, it's your fault. If you'd given me a better mum, if you'd given me a better dad, 
if you'd given me a better marriage, if you'd given me a better job, if you'd given me a better income, I wouldn't be where I am today. If you'd entrusted me with what you entrusted to them, I would have done better. Just remember that that way leads to regret and despair. The issue is not what you have in your hands. The issue is what will you do with it? And as we wrap this up, let me ask you to make three commitments. And the first of those commitments is to see yourself through God's eyes. I'm coming back to that. When you catch yourself this week looking at someone else and wishing you were more like them, will you say, stop? My brother-in-law is not my mirror. My colleague is not my mirror. No one I follow on Insta or Facebook is my mirror. God, you're my mirror. And I will take my cue from you, the one who loves me, the one who created me, the one who redeems me. See yourself through God's eyes and choose to celebrate what God has given others. Choose to celebrate. I choose to be glad he's better looking than I am. I choose to celebrate that she's got a great friendship group when I don't. I choose to celebrate that she's got a boyfriend when I haven't. I choose to celebrate that they had children. I choose to celebrate that their marriage has thrived. I will celebrate that they have lived together into old age. I will celebrate and I will choose not to compare. I'll celebrate what you have entrusted to them. You didn't entrust that to me. And I, when I face you, will never have to give account to you for what you entrusted to them. And then thirdly, use what God has entrusted to you. Yes, you won't ever be asked to give account to God for what God has entrusted to someone else. But actually, you will have to give account to God for what he's entrusted to you, your life, your skills, your circumstances, you. So I will choose to celebrate what you've entrusted to others, but I'm going to spend the rest of my life using what you have entrusted to me. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. Thanks.